It is Monday afternoon. This is the drop zone. Uh, it's not Sunday night. We might normally record on Sunday night, but Dylan and I were both enjoying our nation's birthday, Independence Day on July 4th. It is July 5th, and it was just the... Gosh, it feels like every week is a weird week on the PGA Tour, but this one felt weird because we didn't have a whole lot to celebrate in terms of the tournaments. Uh, Cam Davis wins a five-hole playoff over Joaquin Neiman and Troy Merritt, and Jin Young Ko slaps back, takes uh, the LPGA Tour event this week after losing her crown as the number one female player in the world. Um but like those weren't even the headlines that everyone cared about this week. Sometimes the events are, but this was not one of those weeks. Dylan, Phil Mickelson, is he returning to Detroit in the future? Is he not returning to Detroit in the future? He seemed to hold that uh, hostage over, <laughs> over all the fans of Detroit because he went. He he had a little bit of a, a run in with what he thought was a pretty bad article this week from local Detroit press. Can you explain the weird Mickelson saga? Yeah. I mean, I think it's a reasonable thing to lead with just based off the the larger discourse here, but it is funny to be starting with a guy that beat exactly two golfers on the weekend. Um, Phil finished <laughs> T74. So yeah, I mean, first shout out to Cam Davis, who seems Sean to be going by Cam, which is like an ongoing drama on tour you've got cam <laughs> smith who might be cameron you have cameron champ who's definitely cameron you have cameron percy who seems to be cameron and then there's cam smith who is uh for now just going by cam or cam davis excuse me D don't forget about cameron young yeah look lest we forget <laughs> i think he's a cameron so anyway cam davis seemed to be going by yeah. cam this week definitely something to monitor um but Phil Mickelson, man, uh, where do we even begin with this? Basically, on Tuesday, just to get you quickly caught up, uh, on Tuesday, the Detroit News, not to be confused with the Detroit Free Press, so the second largest um, news source <laughs> in the city of Detroit, released an article that you know basically tied, it retold this story of Mickelson making a large bet in 1999 uh, he and a couple friends were owed $500,000 after winning a bet with a local sketchy bookie guy with mob ties. And that guy <laughs> never paid yeah. up. So it was a story of, of Phil gambling and winning, but not getting paid and, you know, being connected to some unsavory characters. So um, it was intriguing. It, it was in the news because these records had gotten unsealed recently in in the last few weeks. Um, so this guy named Robert Snell wrote an article about it. Not something that really probably would have even popped up on the national radar. Uh, it was behind a paywall. No. Um, the Detroit News, from what I can tell, has about a subscription size of like 100,000. Um, <laughs> and, you know, it's, it's also not like there's any pre-existing beef between Phil and Robert Snell. He's a court reporter. Like sometimes you'll see Tiger doesn't like so-and-so or, um, you know, someone doesn't like what a golf writer has written about them. So there's some pre-existing beef there. That can't be the case here. I'm sure that they have no connection. So anyway, uh, Phil came out and essentially said he repudiated the article. Um, he didn't say that it was incorrect. In fact, his lawyer basically made it clear that everything in the article was correct but he just went pretty hard at this guy, said that based off this article, he was not going to return to Detroit, said that he had been thinking <laughs> about, um, you know, spending, uh, directing charitable funds towards this tournament and what they were doing for the city of Detroit. But then again, kind of suggested that, that wouldn't be the case based off this article and the negativity surrounding it. And then just kept going on that front all week on Twitter. Um, yeah, you got involved. I did get involved. And I just tweeted out after Phil, you know, went back to the well, calling out Rob Snell and his, uh, gosh, what was the phrase here? Um, his self-centered opportunism. Fighting words, Sean. And, 
you know, I just said, I'm yeah, kind of perplexed I, by this whole thing. It Phil could have ignored the story. He, it would have been gone. Instead, he, you know, gave it life. And I was curious what his motivation was. And he responded and he said uh, his motivation was to hold the media accountable since they rarely are. Local media do this often. They use famous people when they come to town to ex- increase their own exposure. Often we don't come back nor get involved in the causes. Media colleagues should be bringing this to light but never do. So that's the big picture here. He finished the week. He softened a little bit, suggested that maybe he will come back if there's a petition that needs 50,000 signatures. I mean, even reciting this, it's funny to think how this is a story about whether the guy that finished T-74 is going to come back to a Detroit PGA Tour event in a year. And that was somehow the story of this year's Detroit PGA Tour event. So it's all a bit ridiculous, but it does bring the bigger picture of the role of the media um, to mind, which I think is why it's so interesting. So I don't know. First of all, Sean, you were not super closely monitoring this story all week. Now thinking about it big picture, what do you make of it? There's a couple of things that I agree with Phil on and a handful of things I don't. So is he right about local media occasionally doing this to celebrities that come to town? Meaning draw some connection between their past doings, whatever, why they're here mm-hmm. now, yada, yada, yada. I think he's he's probably right about that. I think that there is no Phil Mickelson connection uh, that the Detroit news can make um, for a story for this or that really ever. And so, yeah, maybe there's some value there for the Detroit news. And um, is he wrong? Is he right that the the media are never held accountable? No, of course not. Um, is he like kind of drawing like bigger inferences to a very small singular um, instance that happened to have his name in the headline? Yeah. Uh, is like, is it a story? <sighs> It's probably not a story, if you're asking me. Like, I think Phil is right about that. This does feel like his connection is extremely loose, that it was a bet that was made 20-plus years ago. It sounds like it was a bet that was made in Phil's name, according to Phil's lawyer, um, via Mm -hmm. Phil and and a handful of other guys. So, you know, the court documents were obtained three years ago. The that was from a court setting of 2007, whatever litigation was going on. So like all of this has some extreme dating to it. And so July, 2021. Yeah, it feels very odd for it to happen right now. So Phil is right about that. Um, Phil is wrong to make this all about him. Uh, He's, he's making his coming to Detroit this grand thing about how he's bringing so much exposure to the event. He's the PGA mm-hmm. champion. He's the, the one bringing value to the city, to the event. And it's not to say that he doesn't bring value. But again, what, like, he's not ranked in the top 20 players in the world. He did happen to do something absolutely incredible in the state of South Carolina, but that was a month ago, uh, more than a month ago now. Like he seemed to act like some deity arriving in Eastern Michigan and like he was the best player in the field all week. Um, And then he kind of said a lot repeatedly, like I don't wanna be divisive. But he literally was the one being divisive, saying, look, Detroit, this one writer represents all of you. So I'm out because this one guy did me wrong, as opposed to saying, you know what? That story was done. I really hate that story, but I won't let that represent Detroit. I won't let this Mm -hmm. become a bigger issue. So, yeah, he's both right and wrong, and I think he's more wrong than right. And I think he maybe even... We'll realize that, but he he's an egotistical dude who, you know, he's always been an individualist. Famous people are individualists. Golfers are individualists. So I'm not ultimately too shocked. It just, it doesn't feel like it was necessary. Yeah. I think that's the, the biggest miss here is him tying this story to then somehow being related to charity. Um, 
because that just feels really tenuous to me. Um, but I don't think, I don't think Phil being inconsistent about that. I don't think he really gets any punishment for this. I think that mm-hmm. he's understood social media and he's understood his own power. And if he's turned this into a popularity contest between him and Rob Snell, <laughs> yeah. then it's just not, you know, that's <laughs> a, that's going to be fight. a one-sided thing. Um, so here's what he said after Sunday's round. He said, I've never understood how impactful social media can be. Not the way guys like Bubba Watson and Ricky Fowler and guys that have been doing it for a long time, but I've, I've always used it as like entertainment, trying to put funny little clips out there. When some stuff happened this week, it was nice to have a voice. And, huh. and the way I read that was he's realizing his voice and that his voice is, you know, a fire hose. Like if he wants to go at the media, which is generally not a popular entity, he can do it. And it doesn't really matter, you know, if the nuances of his argument are correct or not. Because, I mean, shoot, look at the replies to anything he said this week. Just the the fill stands are out in force, you know. And, of course, the people of Detroit want him to keep coming to this tournament. So when he complained and... Then came out to the tournament the next day. People were chanting his name. They were telling him how much they want him back. I mean, there's an element of ego trip to all of this. So it doesn't really even matter if he's right or not because he is just flexing his Twitter clout and yeah, his, his popularity man. muscles. And also, if you're a local, you know, you you live in Chicago here, but say you were say you were at home writing for. Um, you know, a Milwaukee area paper and Phil was going to come play the greater Milwaukee open. All of a sudden, if you had this Phil story, you know, queued up for that week, you would probably think twice. You definitely would have that in the back of your mind. So there could be a preemptive element to this to, you know, prevent future similar articles. So, I mean, I'm not sure I love it, but I'm also not sure that from Phil Mickelson's perspective, there is much downside to what he did this week. Yeah, yeah. I don't like it, though, because Phil, like, he he had a big microphone to begin with. And you see his Twitter follower count growing and growing throughout the week. Mm -hmm. His microphone only get louder and he's already had a loud microphone. And so his, his microphone's louder than both of ours. If Phil clipped a part of this podcast, he didn't like and tweeted it out. Suddenly you and I would get pulled in and dredged into the storm of Phil Mickelson fans who, who, you know what? They have gotten plenty of reasons to like Phil and they probably ignore a lot of reasons why they shouldn't like Phil. Phil Yes. Phil can be a divisive person. That is well within their rights. Yeah. It's how fan. I mean, I works. got the tiniest little corner of this, just you know, and my tweet that Phil responded to was not even really critical. It was just I was just genuinely wondering like what his end game was. Um, but even still, you know, my DMs filled up with people just calling me a hack and saying that <laughs> like how's that taste stuff like that which is fine it, does, uh, wait, it wait, wait. genuinely does not bother me wait wait how did it taste it ta- it you know it didn't really taste like much it was sort of like <laughs> evening on, of july 3rd kind of just woke up to it on july 4th but you know i had a breakfast burrito in my future um i think that it, the one strange thing is that Rob Snell never, this was a one-way war. Rob Snell wrote the article, he tweeted it out one time, and then he moved on to the rest of his job, which is as a, a court reporter, again, for the Detroit News. He did not respond. Uh, he did not address Phil's salvos in any way. I reached out to him. He got back to me quickly, wished me well, hoped I had a good weekend, respectfully declined to talk about anything related to this story. Um, so he did not really engage. I think the idea that he was doing this for major personal clout doesn't really check out. Um, so I, I think that that's just worth noting also. This is, this is the kind of story I think now when we start to do year end lists of, uh, remember what happened at golf in 2021, like six mm-hmm. months from now, we're going to be like, what the hell happened in Detroit? Yeah. We're going to forget about it. We're going to have a major championship. The, 
the British Open here in uh, you know a week and a half, really. Um, we're gonna mm-hmm. start to focus on other things. The Olympics will follow that. The FedEx Cup, the Ryder Cup, and we will totally forget that in late June, early July, Phil Mickelson took beef with the local Detroit news reporter. Unless this is the first of many. Unless this is just Phil's new running bit, just going after people on Twitter, weaponizing his if following. So. I'll happily get it into the fray. Come on, <laughs> Phil. Bring it on. Bring it on, Phil. All right. Should we, do you want to talk about the winner? Should we talk about Cam Davis beyond just the number of syllables in his name? <laughs> Why don't you tell me about Cameron Davis? Everything you know. 26-year-old Aussie who won for the first time. Yes. Excellent. Hold out for Eagle on the par 5-17th. That kind of gave him his only shot at, uh, at winning this tournament. And then he birdied 18. Um Got into a playoff. Joaquin Neiman had not made a bogey in 77 holes. And then, of course, bogey's the first playoff hole. That's wild. Cam Davis makes five pars in the playoff. Troy Merritt makes four pars and then misses a short par putt on uh, the fifth playoff hole. Can't, uh, Troy Merritt, a little bit of a sad showing on the in the playoff just you know he missed the green twice in this 142 yard par three um he played really well all week so sort of sad to see um cam davis i think people still mistake him for cam smith he was asked in his post-round press conference how this compared to his president's cup appearances (laughs) uh of which he does not have any and but look he sure could be in line for some president's cup looks in the future i mean this is this is obviously a big step. Um, he moved to 60-something in the world, I think, so he's he's like not in that WGC top 50 yep. part of uh, the PGA Tour. But, it, I mean, this is huge. It's a big week for him. 68, 68, 67, 67. Wow. Bunch of pars in the playoff. Beat a really interesting leaderboard. Um, so, yeah, I mean... Good on you, Cam Davis. The uh, Australian delegate. It, it's golf is better when, when the Australian delegate is good. And <laughs> to to be fair, like there was Greg Norman, uh, and then a bunch of players like Adam Scott and Jason Day and Mark Leishman, who were like disciples of the the generation that grew up idolizing Greg Norman. And now those guys are not getting completely aged out they're all in their 30s but adam scott i believe is is getting close to 40 um leishman is is probably the best of the group jason day jason day was was the greatest of the bunch arguably one of the probably greatest right behind greg norman for greatest australian i think of all time at his peak but he's just so up and down with his injuries so it is great to see the camerons Smith and Davis, two of the most popular names in the world, uh, to 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 hold you know fly the flag now you know a lot of the that was going to sit on Cameron Smith's shoulders because he's really really good. We've seen him contend in majors, put his name up there on the leaderboard, but I wasn't really sure who would follow next. I think it's got to be Cameron Davis, um, at least you know from the. Australian golf writers whom I follow, they believed that this was going to happen a long time ago. Um, and so it is, you know, a little while coming for him, but he got it done. You just got to get your first win out of the way is kind of what it sounds like. And he finally did. Lucas Herbert, another Aussie, 25-year-old Aussie, won on the European tour this week. He won the the Dubai Duty Free Irish Open. Um, and I think he, mm-hmm. he actually stayed ahead of Davis in the world ranking. So he's another kind of rising star his second european tour win um steph we need more aussies we need more aussies all the aussies well uh i wish i could be confident in pronouncing either of the next two names but uh <laughs> louis possibly lewis can't be sure lou we'll call him dobelar won the uh <laughs> north and south amateur at pinehurst this week and then uh steph kiriaku Again, should look that one wow. up. Uh, one on the the ladies' European tour. So this is uh, just based on a, a tweet from our pal Evan Priest, um, an Aussie reporter, who was pointing out that this was a massive week for Aussie golfers. And Jason Day finished T14. 
Is there signs of life? He's had a good summer. I I went on the record maybe uh, in at least privately, <laughs> so not on the privately record, on the record. I, like I was that. believing it. I was believing in Jason Day earlier this year. Um, in early March, I told a handful of people, including Claude Harmon, I said, "Look, Jason Day is going to have a year. He's going to surprise some folks." Has he lived up to that billing? Not quite yet, but he has recently. Could he win? Could he contend in the Open? Could he? Could he play an event without grabbing for his back? Gosh, I don't know. So up and down. Very up and down. But you saw a few guys that the the European side and the international side in the Ryder Cup and uh, President's Cup are just fascinating to see the makeups of those teams. But you had Cam Davis, you had Joaquin Neiman playing well, you had Sung Jae playing well, Jason Day playing well, Mackenzie Hughes right in the mix. So there were a few different you know, potential players that were uh, that were all in the mix this week. So that's the sort of thing that you have to look to when you're playing the Rocket Mortgage Classic, when guys like Bryson DeChambeau <laughs> are missing the cut, when Phil is finishing, you know, 18 shots off the – 15 shots off the lead, I should say. Um, that's the sort of thing that, you know, we end up dialing in on. Um, all right, Sean, what's next? Bryson. Bryson. The man you said who missed the cut is no longer working with Tim Tucker. I was in Detroit earlier in the week and I saw Bryson. I said hi to him. I saw Tim Tucker. I said hi to him. And it all seemed well in that world. And it was another reminder that that what you see doesn't mean everything. Behind the scenes, it sounded like it was just getting a little more tense between the two guys and you know, what, what is the Bryson's camp messaging that, you know, their relationship as a player caddy had run its course um, and that they mutually agreed to part ways. We know nothing more than that. Mm -hmm. um, could there be something more than that? I think so. I think when a player and a caddy call it quits, essentially on Wednesday night of the tournament, after the caddy was there to begin the tournament, there's probably something more than mutually agreeing to part ways. Um, I don't need to speculate any more beyond that. But it's it's the kind of thing that I guess happens in golf on occasion. Some some player caddy like relationships end while the event is even being played. I was thinking about like, that. You can never yeah. predict it when it's going to happen. We haven't had a mid round caddy firing in a while, and maybe that's just not a thing. But this that's is as close to that as possible. Like there's just maybe there's just you know there's too much scrutiny now. There is, uh, you know, people would just be aware how viral that would go. So maybe that, but I think that that's the sort of thing that used to happen with some frequency. Um, yeah. Look, I mean, it's not a shocker that Bryson DeChambeau's caddy would um, tire of the job. I don't think that Bryson would object to even us saying that if you heard it, because yeah. it's a it's a testing gig. I mean, you got to be out there early. You got to be out there very late. You've got to deal with Bryson tinkering and theorizing and grinding. Um, he's really hard on himself. Um, it's a demanding job. As far as caddy gigs go, it might be the toughest. Uh, you know, there are reports. It probably of, is. Reports of some tense moments during Wednesday's practice round. And, you know, who knows how much this was one isolated incident during a practice round versus just Tim Tucker feeling like, you know, he's had enough. He's made a bunch of money doing this. Um, yeah, who knows? Like you said, we don't want to dive too far into speculation. But the fact that it didn't happen right after a tournament, that it happened midweek, certainly telling. Um, and it, I'm curious how this will affect him. Clearly, it was on Bryson's mind throughout the week. He was not fully comfortable. This is a golf course that sets up really well for him. He did not play well. Um and I, you know, I don't think that's a leap to to draw that connection. I watched a bunch of the first two rounds that he played, and uh, he was always not right in Bryson World. So I don't know what I mean. What do you make of it going forward? Uh, well, his caddy uh, selection process will be interesting. We've kind of already heard a little bit about who might do the job. Um, it's going to require someone who can basically deal with 
all the Bryson hoopla. I mean, he is truly one of the most popular golfers in the world. And that makes him one of the most popular athletes in the world. You know, maybe top, I don't know, top 200 most popular athletes, top 100, something like that. He, he's going to be the, he's going to the Olympics. Like there's a lot that comes with caddying for Bryson and it's not even just carrying the bag, but a lot of it is counting up numbers. A lot of it is, is kind of being there all night long on the driving range. Um, and so everything that Bryson loved about Tim Tucker that you probably got a really close firsthand witness account of, um, this guy's going to have to fill that role or this female, whoever does it, you know, whoever caddies for him is going to have to fill a big role. I think it'll probably be someone that is already close to their processes. Um, someone that already knows Bryson. Like, I don't think we'll be surprised by this because he needs to do it soon. You know, whoever's going to do this job is going to the open in a week. And then the Olympics two weeks after that. Mm -hmm. So it's a tough gig. Um, yeah, we. Uh, it's kind of weird to just like prognosticate on Speculate. a caddy player relationship. They'll do what's ever best for them. Because we never know how much they matter. We never know. But I mean, this is one of the highest profile player caddy things because, you know, Bryson is one of those people that we see talking to his caddy a lot. We, we focus in on those clips when it's, you know, I mean, I think back to the clip that Brooks Kepka made fun of Bryson yeah. for in the first place, which was, you know, talking over a wedge shot from the rough from 120 yards that took like two full minutes or whatever it was. So this was a high profile pairing. Um, I think about other top players. You don't necessarily think about Colin Morikawa's player caddy relationship for example. But this is one of the highest profile splits I can think of since, uh, I mean, Rory and JP Fitzgerald comes to mind. And then of course, Phil and Bones. Um, but in the last few years, this probably has to be number one. Yeah. And even then, like, so Rory filled that job with his uh, boyhood friend, Harry Diamond. And like, we don't even consider Rory to be the type of person who needs this advanced caddy or a very particular caddy. We think Rory can win with, you know, your fiance on the bag. All due respect to Emily. Like we think Rory can win with anybody on the bag. And good for uh, the mental game. <laughs> and I think Bryson is probably talented to, enough to win with anybody, but he, there's just a little more care I think involved with that. Uh, with that guy. And so I'm excited to see who he chooses. Uh, what I was not excited about is to see Brooks Kepka even just get involved again. <laughs> this has nothing to do, nothing to do with Brooks Kepka. Nothing. Zero things to do with him. And yet immediately Brooks Kepka, upon hearing about this, looking at Bryson, a guy who is down right now. Like he's not feeling great about his game. And yeah, he's acting a bit childish, avoiding the media. He's not doing things right. He's really doing things wrong. Brooks Kepka dives on to social media where he has a nice little microphone himself, similar to Phil Mickelson. And it is in the past dunked on people. He goes there again because why? He's got the part of my take people backing him. He's got the, the, the slew of Dave Portnoy followers and all the Barstoolians. These people are fine, but on social media, they're little tyrants. They are really, really mean. And they, they, Brooks has the backing of all of them. And he's really kind of just instigating a, you know, something that some people have called bullying. And what's interesting is I, I'm just really tired of it. Like it's all, people are feigning this to be a golf rivalry. These guys don't even get to play together. They haven't contended in the same tournament. I mean, I guess you could call it Count Tory Pines, but Brooks slowed down on Saturday and Bryson blew up on Sunday. Like someone was saying, look, Gulf Media just wants a rivalry. And the instant that you get a rivalry, Gulf Media suddenly is calling Brooks a bully. It's like, is this really a rivalry? The guy is sitting at home typing out tweets on his phone. I'm just annoyed by it. Like, I know that this is an unpopular opinion. I'm okay having the unpopular opinion of Brooks annoying me. 
but I love it most when Brooks backs things up with his game. And then Brooks will tell us on the whatever pre-British Open press conference, uh, it's nothing. It's no big deal. I don't care about anyone else. Yeah, you clearly do care about some people. You clearly <laughs> care about what Bryson does. I'm not buying what Brooks is selling. And frankly, I probably sound like I'm defending Bryson. You don't need to defend Bryson to the end of the world. But like, just let him be, dude. Give it up. This is a you thing, not a him thing. I'm done. Wow. This is a big turn for you. Being annoyed by Brooks Kepka. Yeah, your, your boy. You've spent a, a fair amount of time with BK over the years. Um I mean, I think the the what we're seeing with Brooks and with Phil and with, you know, American politics and gosh, you know, who knows what else is basically the incentive to dunk on people on the internet <laughs> is it's that's an extremely rewarded activity. There, there is almost only, um, you know, positive stuff that comes along with that. There, there, you gain attention, you gain followers. You, if you're not worried about, you know, stuff like being called a bully or doing actual bullying, if you're not worried about that, but you're just worried about, you know, PIP and attention and, you know, getting golf fans or non-golf fans kind of fired up, then there's really no reason not to keep taking shots. I mean, Kepka tweeted out that it was Caddy Appreciation Day right after um, Bryson and his caddy announced their split. And, you know, Kepka's not even playing in the tournament this week. But that went crazy. People loved it. Um, people really responded to it. So again, like the incentive structure is there to keep doing stuff like this, which means that people for whom it's not their cup of tea, like yourself, I don't know what to tell you, except there's more coming. Yeah. And I would be surprised I, if there's not. I think what, what I mean to say is that I'm okay with this at times, but like, and, and I, I'm not going to defend whatever happened between Bryson and Tim Tucker as like, you know, Bryson is a saint. But like Bryson, I think, is kind of over the whole Brooks thing. Brooks Kepka in their feud. And oh, yeah. Really, I don't think he ever really wanted any part of it. The only person pouring lighter fluid on this like whimpering little campfire is Kepka. But you have all these idiots sitting around the campfire who are having such a good time with it. And by that, I mean like all the people on social media. So yeah, maybe he's an entertainer. Yeah, he is probably chasing PIP, whatever. All that money is worth. I'd love to see him go out and win an event, add to that major total, the win count. I know he won in Phoenix before all the PIP was really announced um, publicly. But yeah, it, I think we're just approaching the point where we need a battle royale, right? A physical fight? No, 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 no. <laughs> we need a battle royale. We need them paired up. And it needs to be in an important tournament. And so Bryson can beat him or Brooks can beat Bryson. And that's that's where the who's who's won this little rivalry, that's where it gets played out. Not with Twitter fingers. I got a game for you, Sean. Let's play a little game of who's right, who's wrong. And this is taking Brooks Kepka out of the equation, but it still is featuring Bryson DeChambeau and a couple journalists who really ragged on him for skipping media obligations on uh, Thursday and Friday after his rounds. And, you know, look, guys that miss the cut frequently don't talk to the media but this is Bryson DeChambeau he's sponsored by Rocket Mortgage he's the defending champion he did just split with his caddy he's one of the most famous golfers in the world does he have an obligation to talk to reporters after his rounds is is he right in skipping his media obligations or is he wrong uh, he's wrong and I would like to contextualize that with if he went out and shot 72 in the first round or whatever even par is at Donald Ross, Detroit Golf Club. 72, yes. I don't think I need to hear from him after 72. But if he shoots 73, whatever he shot on Thursday, 
after sacking his caddy or mutually agreeing to part ways with his caddy, if he does that, yeah, I think we deserve to hear from him. Like there is context to this. Like you don't need to sit in a vacuum across the board and be like, well, golfers, they're just, they're just playing golf. We don't need to hear from them. It's part of the story. The caddy is part of the story. Dylan, when you fail to qualify at local qualifying, I'm a tiny little part of that story. Like it, that is golf for you. And if, if Bryson doesn't think that that is a story or if, or if fans don't think that that matters, then you're kind of just being ignorant to how this sport has gained popularity over the last three or four decades. So, yeah, he's wrong. He did shoot 72 in the first round, for oh, wow. example. That's awesome. <laughs> 72 in the first round, 71 in the second round. It, it definitely felt like he should make the cut, but, you know, not exactly contend. Um, scores were pretty low those first two days. Continued to be low all week. Um, in general, I think, you know, if we as reporters are getting too worked up about guys talking or not talking after the round, it it really feels like an old man media take. But it is, if something significant is going why to happen are we, to you, why are we propping you need these to address tournaments it. up? You know, that's my take. Why are we propping up these events as important um, if the people in the rounds that are scored are not important? Like mm -hmm. that's that that is what's implied by a golfer saying that they don't want to talk to the media. Now, there are many reasons why they might truly believe they don't need to or not want to in that moment. But the reason why the reason that's implied when they decide I don't want to talk to the media is generally because I got nothing to say here. Well, we got questions to ask regardless. And <laughs> what I think is funny is that if Bryson shoots 72 at Augusta National during the Masters, he gets wrangled to do media every single day. A lot of, every single big name player does media just about every single day at Augusta National. The day that they can kind of get away with not doing it would be Sunday if they, you know, began the day T17, shot 74, mm -hmm. finished T34, and nothing really matters to them. Well, yeah, then we don't really care to talk to them. But even when Bryson's in contention at the Masters and he has plenty of work to do in the driving range, he will still do media those days. Why? What's different here? What's different is that you had a surprise breakup with your caddy on the eve of the golf tournament and you know that there is something questionable about that. And so since there's something questionable, your fans, your caddy's fans, golf fans, Brooks Kepka's fans are all very, very interested. And when you except a lot of the things that come along with the trappings of professional golf and competing on the PGA tour and entertainment product, you basically are, are doing an unwritten agreement. And that is to handle truly a handful of questions when these things happen in your life. So it doesn't seem uh, to me as old man takey as some might think we are a necessary entity in this entire experience i would agree because otherwise you know especially with that last point because otherwise you're just getting whatever message bryson wants to release you know about this split via his agent or you know ultimately maybe there'll be some sort of statement on social media that he releases but to actually have him answer the question to someone in person and maybe answer a follow-up question Certainly that gets at something closer to the truth. Um, I think it still is important that these guys are, are held somewhat accountable. Um, you know, Phil is clearly showing how easily golfers can sidestep that with everything he was doing on social media this week. And of course, of course, of course, how much more powerful these guys' voices are than our voices, or in this case, you know, whichever media members were at the Rocket Mortgage. So, yeah, it's not the end of the world if he doesn't talk to reporters. Uh, most great stories or pieces of writing probably don't rely only on press conference quotes. But in this case, 
it's certainly newsworthy. It was one of the biggest things that happened this week at the Rocket Mortgage that the defending champion and his caddy split up on the eve of the event. So, yeah, it was a bummer not to hear from Bryson. All right, uh, let's move on. We've got a couple more minutes here, a couple more topics. Uh, your boy Rory had, mm-hmm. I, w- I would call it a, a concerning performance <laughs> at the Irish Open. Now, again, I constantly rag on golf media and and golf Twitter and the expectations we put on players. But when Rory's finishing T59 pretty darn close to last place of those who made the cut at the Irish Open, uh, pretty much a, a tournament he's never really struggled at. You know, he's he's had ups and downs, and there has been some poor performance. But that that's an alarming one, right? Like, we can be a little concerned about that. It's a weird one. Rory doesn't typically make the weekend and then just vanish. Yeah, um, he's too good. He, Yeah, usually, I mean, he'll occasionally miss a cut. He's missed some high-profile cuts like this year's Masters and players. But usually once he makes the weekend, then he'll make some sort of charge. Um, I know he said he had not been prepping his game that hard before this week. I think that that's, you know, if you're looking for a silver lining, that would be it. If you're looking for another silver lining, this is not uh, this is not a Lynx course. Um, this year's Irish Open was, you know, played at an inland Nicholas design um, that just doesn't have much in common with the the Scottish Open, which Rory's playing next week, or the Open Championship the week after that. So, I mean, Rory himself said he's not as optimistic now as he was right after the U.S. <laughs> Open, which was his his last start. But I, I don't think that this is the end of the world. Uh, it's certainly not encouraging. Um, but he said he's not driving it that well, but he also doesn't expect he's going to have to hit driver that much at the Scottish or at Royal St. George's. <laughs> that's, uh, if Rory's saying he's glad he doesn't have to hit driver, yeah. lot, that's, it's not a good thing. It feels backwards. Um, it's kind of his asset. So, no, it's not encouraging for Rory, but I think we could still see a different guy. Uh, after a bunch of work this week at the Scottish Open. What I would have liked to see this week is Michael Bannon, Rory's guy, come see mm. him at the Irish Open. I'm not sure mm. if he did or not, but, look, that's his swing identity is with with Michael Bannon, former drop zone guest, um, and Rory's lifelong swing coach. So I, I don't know if they met up or not. There was still a lot of Pete Cowan talk. I don't know. I don't know where we sit with Rory in the, the Open Championship. But I mean, he'll probably really, finish in the top 10 at the Scottish Open, and then this conversation will be completely moot because he's that talented. But, look, we're staring down another year of no majors for the guy. So it you is said it. what it is. Uh, <laughs> speaking of the British Open, it's about to get weird, man. It's going to be a weird Open. Uh, for starters, it's it's at Royal St. George's, which is southeast of London and about as far southeast as you can get in terms of the open rota. It, it's much further away than uh, any of the uh, from all the other rota courses. It is like when people were really like wondering, oh, should the open go to Royal Portrush in Northern Ireland? It's like, look, you guys, I know there are like country borders and stuff being crossed, but in terms of like proper links, weather and everything like that, Royal St. George's is is much different than say Royal Liverpool or St. Andrews and Carnoustie. Um, so that's even just a sliver of the weirdness. The real weirdness is going to be with the quarantining and the health restrictions and the fact that the Open uh, was canceled last year because they didn't feel like they could host a proper Open. Um, during the peak of the worldwide pandemic. And when you hear people from the RNA say that, just know that they mean we couldn't have fans. That's all they mean. That is the, the baseline, the true only reason why last year's pandemic kind of didn't move forward. I know Wimbledon did not happen as well, but the women's British Open did happen a month later. Uh, and uh, they didn't have fans as well, but... The RNA doesn't consider that to be as big of an issue. They needed to have fans at this year's Open to host it. 32,000 fans are expected to be there. Um, 
which is slightly less than normal, only slightly less than a normal open championship day. Um, and why that number matters is because it is going to be cited by unhappy tour players. The first of which we already heard this weekend mm -hmm. in particular, Ricky Fowler, uh, is upset because he's really just speaking for a lot of the PGA tour. And we heard grumblings about it this week on the driving range in Detroit tour players are going to be kind of living as Spartan of a lifestyle as they ever have this year. What I mean by saying that is that they can only have four people themselves included in their houses this week or that week at the British Open. And the housing that they're staying in has to be approved housing. We're trying to control the visitors that are coming over to England because of the pandemic. Um, people are going to be tested. If you have contact with anyone who's had contact with anyone who catches the virus, you have the potential that they're going to ask you to withdraw from the event. Um, a lot of players are complaining about this very quietly, privately. Some players are not interested in going over to England to, to deal with these quarantine restrictions. Siwoo Kim and Sung JM were both like, screw that. Yes. We're going to focus on the Olympics. And now their uh, inspiration is slightly different. They have the clause that Americans can't get uh, really comfortable with totally understanding of the forced military uh, activity for two years. Um, unless they win an Olympic medal. So they want to focus on the Olympics. That's fine and different. But there are other players, um, American-born players, that are like, holy cow, it's going to kind of suck to go to the Open. Do I even really want to do that? <laughs> and as golf fans, you and I just have to hate the idea that, <laughs> that well, players we love are going it. to we be We love the way. Open. It's It's – it might be the most fun major. It's different. Um, I mean, look, we're not going for the, are you going? Yeah. No, <laughs> no. Right. Um, we're not going for, I think, you know, similar, similar reasons. Some of the players, just the logistics make it very difficult having to go and quarantine and then not really get access to certain things. And it just doesn't quite make the sense that it normally makes. Um, hopefully Michael Bamberger will be there. Who knows? <laughs> But, um, yeah, I, it's it's tricky. You think about a guy like Ricky, you think about how he usually spends his Open Championship. It's in a house with Kevin Kisner and Justin Thomas and Jordan Spieth and Jason Duffner and Jimmy Walker and all their wives and girlfriends, and they're hanging out. They're playing soccer in between rounds and having <laughs> breakfast and watching live from and doing the whole thing, and I think it's a blast. And I'm sure that in their – this is their lives, so – the, the housing at the Open Championship, that is a seminal moment in their summers. So, yeah, to be told that you can't do that even though you're vaccinated and, and even though things are a certain way and you feel like you've done things correctly, I get that that would be frustrating. Um, I get that there's some hypocrisy and some inconsistency there, and that's been a, a hallmark of this entire COVID experience. Not everything is going to quite make sense or line up. And people have generally been pretty patient with that. Not everyone has been <laughs> patient with it. Um, so look, like, does he deserve to be frustrated? Yes, I think so. I think that players that have gotten vaccinated probably should have a little bit more freedom than they're being given, especially with some of these clauses, like how many people can stay in your house. But at the same time, yeah, I don't, I don't really get the point of coming forward and making an issue about it because it's probably not going to change anything. And in the scope of things, you just don't end up looking that good. We kind of believe these guys care so much about wins, performance, career tour, uh, PGA tour, like status exemptions, victories. They like grind and grind and grind to get to this elevated position. And we want to appreciate their chase along the way. And there's a major taking place, a chance to cement your legacy. If Ricky Fowler, who will be playing, wins, my God, it changes everything about him. That's the case for every single player in the field. They're going to have to put up with 
10 days of a little bit of discomfort, guarantee you it's good for them. <laughs> I guarantee you it yeah. is good for them. Um, and hopefully no one bows out. But it was a little scary I'm just, to see I'm the so career players back. bow out. It is, yeah, yeah. But I'm overall just so glad the Open's going to be back. I'm glad we're going to have early morning. I mean, Dude, shoot, you're I'm screwed. on the West Coast. <laughs> early morning. Um, no, gonna, I'll actually be on the East Coast for a wedding, so I'm going to be oh, uh, go. a little bit closer. Um, it's just good, man. Open championship season. It's just like, it's like Wimbledon right now. It's nice to have in the morning to turn on, soak in. I don't even drink coffee, but on days like this, I, I feel like I should. Um, <laughs> coffee. So, golf. yeah, man, it's good. Scottish Open and as an appetizer, Open Championship the week after. We've got good times ahead. Yeah, and every you know every few years it comes around. It's just such perfect sports calendar. Wimbledon final, the same day as the Euro uh, 2020, which is in 2021, final, mm. which is the same day that the Scottish Open ends, which is the same day that the British Open really starts. So good vibes on the sports calendar in July. My head's spinning about it already. We can't leave before um, before certainly acknowledging Jin Young Ko's bounce back victory this week on the LPGA Tour. Um, what was she bouncing back from? Losing her world number one <laughs> ranking. But she had uh, held she on to that for a long American time. Classic. She had hung on to it. Partly, you know, there were there were these. Uh, <laughs> she wasn't playing rules. last year. She wasn't playing. She she sort of had this like emeritus number one status. But anyway, yeah. she had really stayed up there. Nellie Corda took it. Uh, you and I cannot figure out how close she's going to be to taking back that number one status because the Rolex rankings are not as up to date as the drop zone. That's horrible. Yes. I know that this especially grinds your gears. But Jin Young Ko uh, closed it out. She birdied three of the first four holes on Sunday. She finished... Kind of like Cam Davis did. She finished with seven straight pars, and that was enough to hold off uh, the rest of the field. So big times for Jin Young Ko. Shout yeah, out to wh- her. I, what I don't want, you know, is this ascendance of Nelly Korda to be without the South Koreans kind of punch back. They've dominated mm-hmm. the LPGA Tour for years and years and years, and like so many American golf fans are like, give us an American. And now, you know, Nelly Korda ascends to that ranking. I don't want it to be easy on her. I want Jin Young Ko to punch back, take it back from her. I don't think it will be easy, yeah. No, that's the idea see more here. of this. Yep, I agree. Um, good stuff. As you, as you say, Sean, anyone that's almost made it to the hour mark is uh, credit to you. Those are our biggest fans. And uh, we thank you for listening. Yep. See you next week.